We got a few that are doing, doing really good. Well, welcome to Bless Life, our third and final lesson of the series. And to all of you that are joining online, once again, thank you for being with us. It's been a, a great journey. And so I uh, plan on um, having some fun with this one. Uh, but uh, it's been, um, I know you've enjoyed it because over the last couple of weeks, we have had several miracles that have come um, through different ways of communicating that God's been doing some pretty incredible things and so many in this room, just from uh, really the genesis of, the, of the, the series here from the beginning of it. And so I know you have benefited from it as I have. And so um, I kind of want to get dig into it. We have quite a bit to cover and I do not want to take up too much time. Um, so uh, Pastor Hoffman and First Lady, it's 85 degrees, uh, but we're hitting like 40. So we're not as jealous, but we do miss you uh, from First Church. We love you guys, and we're grateful that um, you're able to get away uh, and recharge and come back with vision and clarity. Uh, so we love our pastor and his wife so much. And to our Canadian friends, all those that are not able to cross that border yet, we love you guys, and we're, uh, we're thankful that you're still part of the church family, and it's online. So thank you for always being with us online, being faithful. And so why don't we stand so we can pray together, and I have one scripture, and then we'll sit and we'll kind of start navigating um, through the Blessed Life series, uh, number th- our third lesson here. But um, let me read from you Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and then we'll pray. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Lord, I am thankful for the opportunity to be under the same umbrella as these amazing folks, to be in this room together, navigating through Scripture, looking at principles. And I'm grateful that you are able to impact and touch us. And God, that these things that we're talking about, that Lord, when we live this out, it is a blessed life. It is a better way to live. And so Lord, help us to have an open ear and open heart to listen, and that we can apply what you have for us. And so Lord, touch every heart and ear, and you anoint me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'll do a, just a quick recap of the last couple of weeks to catch everyone up to speed in case you have not been able to be with us. Uh, again, I encourage you to get online and listen to our YouTube channel. You can get both of these uh, messages online so you can get all of the detail. There's a lot of information that was covered. But when we go back to the first lesson that we had a couple of weeks ago, we learned the principle of firsts, the principle of firsts. When you look at the Old Testament, there was something called the, the firstborn, the principle of firstborn. If you had livestock and you were raising livestock, then uh, your firstborn was either redeemed or returned. If it was a clean animal, you would sacrifice it. You would return it unto the Lord. And if it was an unclean animal, then you would have to redeem it with another clean animal. Or scripture actually said that they were to break the neck of the, the, the firstborn that was unclean. So either way you look at it, you either lose it. It's either redeemed or it's returned. You still don't keep the first. Remember, these are principles that are, that are played out through Scripture. And so when you get into the New Testament, we know that Scripture talked about a, a, the first Adam, which is man, right? Adam was the firstborn. But because he sinned, in Romans we hear, and we know that uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God, so the wages of sin is death. And when you look at mankind's Because of the first man, sin entered. Therefore, um, we either as unclean, since we're unclean, we either are redeemed or we have to be returned. Well, we can't um, 
Either way, is if you're, if you're not redeemed and you have to be returned, that means just like the animal would be in the Old Testament, you would break its neck, we would only have, uh, we would be subject to death. There would be no spiritual life. Uh, but when you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it calls Jesus the firstborn among his brethren, the firstborn. How can he be the firstborn if he was already, uh, man was already birthed, Adam was already created? Well, that's easy. He who knew no sin uh, took on the sin of the world. So here, Jesus is the firstborn, the clean one that would be able to redeem us who are unclean. So it's a principle that you see in scripture of showing you the firstborn first, the principle of firsts. When I take you back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it's asking us to honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. The increase is what you, your wage, that's what you're bringing home. And we know that tithe is 10%. So that's where we get the principle of tithing first, your first fruit. Um, so when you are, whenever you get paid, uh, the first thing you do is you pay your tithes. It is a principle that is in Scripture that you find from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, so that was the first lesson. The second lesson was the miracle of multiplication. Pastor John did a great job teaching us that um, there is a principle of multiplication. We read through the story that Jesus was with his 12 disciples. He was teaching the crowd. He was going quite long. And the disciples were concerned and said, listen, the people are hungry. We have to do something for them. And Jesus said, cool, go feed them. Well, in average, what was it? Nearly 20,000 people were in attendance. And all they could come up with was five loaves and two fish. The worst happy meal ever. And uh, not enough to feed everybody. And so what the great part is, they, they, they gather the five loaves and the two fish. They bring it to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus blesses it. He says, uh, uh, let this be really good. Uh, thank you, me, amen. That's how he blessed it. Nobody else to pray to. He just blessed it. But I think the disciples were waiting for, like, the bread to start to just pop up out of nowhere. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, you're in a video. It's like, bloop, 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 bloop. All of a sudden, there's bread and fish. A couple of years ago, the song drove me nuts. But my kids were hearing this song, It's Raining Tacos. Like, I heard, yeah, yeah. There's some parents in here that know it, the, the anger um, that I had to work through with hearing it's raining tacos over and over. And I think the disciples were waiting for it's raining fish. Like they were trying to get their own song. They probably originated it. No fish was falling from the sky. The bread wasn't multiplying. But the bread was blessed. The food was blessed. Um, and so when the miracle came in place is when the disciples actually started breaking the bread and handing it out. That's when all of a sudden you couldn't break off enough bread. You, you couldn't grill enough fish. It, it just kept multiplying. And, and a great example that Pastor John used was a rose. The rose absorbs all of the colors of the spectrum except for red. But a rose is knowing for, for producing red, right? That's how we know a rose is red. And so it, it, it conveys to us, what about us? Are we known for being givers? Are we known for being able to give out? Or are all we do is absorb and absorb? The miracle is when you start giving, when you start handing out. That is where the miracle is. You can be blessed, but never walk in a blessed life because you never understood the value of, of the principle of firsts as well as giving, which takes us to today's lesson. Um, and the, the title to today is The Principle of Cereal. It's the principle of cereal. Very scriptural. It's going to be great. But I'm going to give you a little quick history lesson on cereal. In 1863, James Jackson, um, he tried to create the first or try to innovate the first cereal in the United States, and it was a total disaster. He was working with a really thick brand, and in order for it to work, he had to actually um, soak it overnight so by morning you could actually eat the cereal. 
Well, that's pretty gross. Nobody's going to leave their cereal soaking overnight to have it. So it failed. But in 1891, John Kellogg started playing with granola. He figured out if he could roll the granola out, he could, he could toast the granola. And thus, now we have cornflakes. Just a few years later, his brother, William, actually bought the plant from him, purchased the rights, and uh, he was able to launch his own company called the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company. Super original, Toasted Cornflakes. That's what his, his brother ended up uh, doing in Battle Creek. And shortly after that, in 1897, um, it was Charles Post who came up with a very disgusting fruit. Matter of fact, there's only one person at the 915 service that liked it, and it is grape nuts. Oh, we got some people that need prayed for this morning. So Mr. Post creates grape nuts just a few years later. And of course, he calls his company Post Toasties, and he opened that in Battleship uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan. Battle, Battle Creek, Michigan is now known as the cereal capital of the world. When you're looking at cereal, an average American will consume 160 bowls of cereal. 160 bowls. The average American, 50% of the average American, will start their day off with cereal. For some, cereal is just a breakfast uh, meal. For some, it's a snack. It's a midnight snack. Uh, for some, all the parents in the room um, here, you would understand that uh, most parents will have Tupperware and they'll have Cheerios in there. Yeah, man, that'll keep a kid quiet. And that'll keep a lot of adults quiet. I know you're all eating your cereal, acting like it's for the child and you're sneaking a quick peek. Yeah, every mom in here knows that that's like, oh, it's, it's for Junior. No, it's not. You, you put in a couple extra in there for you. We know. But cereal can be eaten as a dry snack, can be eaten with milk at any time of the day. Um, cereal brings a lot of memories to your childhood. Who here remembers uh, one of the, my favorites, Fruity Pebbles? Man, I'll tell you, what, and there's nothing better than after a bowl of Fruity Pebbles, you get to drink that milk at the very end when it's cold, and that tastes great. Fruity Pebbles, maybe when you were a child, you liked the marshmallows, so you ate the marshmallows and then you eat the rest of the fruit. But man, Lucky Charms, that was a hit when you was a kid. Yep, yeah. Lucky Charms, that's another great cereal. Great memories that you have of your childhood. And of course, everybody remembers tricks are for kids. Yes, they're for kids. If you're an adult, that's gross because it gets soggy pretty quick. So uh, I don't know that you want to keep eating tricks are for kids. And it's crazy, actually, when I look back at this. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how we ate half these cereals because when they get soggy, they're gross. But man, we, we love those cereals. But you know, when you get older, nobody wants to be like, ah, you, what are you, a child? Like, who eats cereal again? So it's like, my, it's like my dad. My dad ate cereal all the time. But this was my dad's, my dad's choice. Shredded wheat, the old man cereal right here. This is the worst cereal I have ever. Let me tell you what my dad would do. My dad would pour a bowl of this. And then he would take 1% milk. Disgust. Yeah, it, it, Jesus, help us. I don't know who thought of that. That's, that's disgusting. He would take a, a, a 1% milk, he would pour in his, it over his cereal, and then he would take bananas. Me, my brother, and my mom would always talk about my dad. We're like, he's eating hay. It literally looks like a pile of hay in a bowl of cereal. So, Dad, when we're done with this service, you can have your very own box of shredded wheat that you can go home and enjoy your hay at your leisure. But cereal comes in all kinds of different shapes and boxes and sizes. It triggers memory. I would love to know the jerk that came up with the family size box that's a quarter inch too big now for the shelves in your pantry. Would love to throw punch that guy. No, I'm just playing. I'm not going to hit anybody. 
But who thinks of creating a box that's just a quarter inch too big so it's all awkward, it sits in your cupboard this way, you have to lay it flat, I, I, I don't know, you know. But it comes in all different shapes and sizes and it, even now, you get it in bags. You can get bagged cereal. And so there, is, there are all kinds of ways that you can eat your cereal in different sizes, different shapes. And, and a lot of memories are created when you're looking at cereal. And I think it was Brother Forrest Gump that once said that life is like a box of chocolates. I would probably have to say, Mr. Gump, life is more like a box of cereal. In life, we're going to have trials. There are no guarantees that just because you are, are living for the Almighty God and that you're submitted and that you have a prayer life, things come up in life. And those are measuring tools for how we behave. And when you look at trials, a lot of them are like cereal. Trials don't care how young you are. Trials don't care how old you are. Trials don't care how much money you have. Trials can pull a lot of triggers and memories. Just like tricks are for kids, there are some trials that will trigger things in your past. There are things that happened to you when you were a child that are now triggered when you're you're married, and that now affects how you're even raising your children, the trust that you have. Uh, There are some that that were, unfortunately, whether they were molested or they had some terrible moral experience that happened when they were younger, and now has flowed into their marriage, and there's no trust in the marriage. Um, If you look at trials, they trigger, it could be like eating shredded wheat. Nobody likes shredded wheat, but you're going to get trials. It happens. But these triggers of things that happen, and it comes in all different sizes. It's packaged completely different. Just when you think you have a grip on life, something comes up and it shifts your mentality. It changes you. It gives you a different lens to look at. And so no different than it is with raising children or it's in a relationship or it's in a marriage. Um, You tend to look at things through the lens of your past and the things that have happened. And no different than just relationships and those issues, it affects your money. It affects how you view finances. You know, I, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. And so there are things that we couldn't do as children because we didn't have all the money. My dad worked very hard. Matter of fact, my brother told me a story uh, while we were sitting down. My dad in 87, 85, it was an 87 Buick LeSabre. It was sweet. Blue, plush interior. It was legit. It was a great car. Fully loaded. First fully loaded car we ever had. And my dad said he began to pray Because two months later, he felt that gut feeling like, oh, I overextended myself. I shouldn't have bought this thing. He felt checked. And my dad was always a faithful tithe payer. Uh, He was a very generous, very generous father. He did the best he could with with working multiple jobs. And my dad said that he began to pray and said, God, I'm going to sell the car. I'm just going to sell the car. It's too much pressure. And my dad said he went into work just a few days after praying the prayer of, I'm just going to have to sell this car and live within my means. And he went into, into work, and they called him into the office, and they said, hey, Mr. Nero, sit down. Listen, we're changing the 401k plans, and we're moving to a different, uh, to a different uh, vendor, different institution. And so um, you have the option of reinvesting or, and before he could finish it, my dad's like, I'll take the money. I took the money. So my dad ended up coming back. They squared it all away, and my dad received a check for $10,000. My dad tithed, paid off his car, and had money in the bank. What does that show you? That shows you he understood the value of the dollar in understanding like he didn't want to overextend himself and he went to prayer and he was willing to sacrifice something he really enjoyed because he understood don't overextend yourself. And so when you're looking at two of the principles of the blessed life, uh, two of the financial key principles are getting out of debt and giving, getting out of debt and giving. When you look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven, it says the rich man 
He ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The American dream is expensive. The American dream, the expectation for what it is, is very superficial. And we get this context of what success really looks like. We begin to measure up what our net worth is and what liquidable assets we have. And we begin to feel the pressure of, you know, what are we accumulating in life? And Jesus gave us a pretty good idea of what your finances are supposed to look like. Go to Numbers 33 and verse 54. It says, and you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more you shall give more inheritance, and to the fewer you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. See, God did not distribute an equal amount to everybody. Not everybody had the fair shake, the fair lot in life. You were given to what you were trusted with. Andrew Hill should have a bigger house than me. I have two kids. He had a village. He had 10 kids. He requires 10 vehicles. I don't. The problem we have is we think that we need all this stuff. And I'm not preaching against having great things. I'm not talking about not striving for perfection. I'm not talking about making good financial choices and investing and having nice things. I'm talking about when we overextend our lives, when we're overextending what we're doing, we tend to think we have to pull all this in. If you go back to when the Israelites were in the wilderness, the Israelites were, were bouncing around. And, and when you get to Exodus chapter 16, they needed food. And so here the Lord provides manna. And in verse 16, he tells them, listen, take for what you need, enough for the day. Don't store it up. Don't try to like, listen, don't go get yourself a shed, buy yourself a freezer, try to rack it up, freeze it. And in a couple of weeks when the joker didn't get enough, you can now sell it to him at a premium. That is not a biblical principle. He said, eat what you need right now. Gather what you need. And by morning, whatever was left over would spoil. It's the same thing with debt. Debt will spoil you. Debt will hurt you. I can't tell you how many marriages that I've had to, to work with and, and our leadership team has had to work with because of financial issues that rose in that marriage and caused all these issues and strife and arguments. And it all stemmed from finance that, that just spilled into all these other areas because of overextending. We tend to think if I buy the right vehicle, if I buy the right home, if I'm in the right city, if it's the right school system, all these things that we'll use to purchase and make decisions, we tend to think that that becomes our blessing. But this is the hardest part for us is to truly be honest and evaluate ourselves. Is it really a blessing? Listen, if you have to mortgage everything out to purchase it, it's not a blessing. But too often, we want to be the centerpiece of somebody's conversation in their home of what a blessing looks like. Too often we say, hey, if I have the right vehicle, if I have the right car, if I put on the right clothes, I show up with every, and everything looks, you know, the furniture is brand new, everything. We just put all our money into all these different things. We want to one day say, hey, when somebody's sitting at the table, they're like, man, you know what? Sister Carrie and Brother, uh, Brother Vanderwater, man, those guys, they got that beautiful house in Oakland Township. They got all that, them deer come in and they get to get all this, pro all this stuff and, and they want to talk about them because they look good. And, and, and I could say this because I know that. Greg and, and Carrie are not this way. They're not saying, man, we're, somebody, we're, we're at somebody's table. We're, we're showing them what the blessed looks like. No, God's truly blessed them. But if your motive is to accumulate all this stuff so you can be somebody's conversation blessing, that is prideful. 
We have to ask ourselves, what is the motive for how we're spending and how we're stewarding our finances? What is our true motive? Is it really to fulfill a need that is in the house? Or is it because we can look like we have it all together and be the conversation that somebody else can have and look like a blessing when in all reality you have mortgaged everything else out? You have to be careful because debt is a cheap substitute for a blessing. It's a cheap substitute for blessing. Don't confuse material things that you are able to accumulate as a blessing. Because it's, it's can, you, can you pay it off? Can you pay for it? Luke 16, 11 says, so, I, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We always want to say that true riches equal a dollar amount. But that's not true riches. Honestly, money is probably the easiest thing that we should have a, a good grip on. We know what the value is when it comes in. We know what we're spending it on. You could put disciplines and practices in your life. But the true riches are the things that you can't put a dollar amount on. Can you buy peace in your marriage? Can you, can you buy uh, peace when you're feeling anxiety? Can you pay off depression? Can, can you pay off poor relationships? But when there's peace in your home, there's health in the house. Yesterday, we, we received a, a text Sister Brenda Lichtel received a text from um, James and Masato that Monica was in an accident yesterday. She was driving. It was a green light for her. And all, uh, an elderly lady came up across the red light and T-boned her. We began to pray for her. And you know what? The cars totaled, but Monica was here in service at the 915. That, my friend, is a blessed life. That is a blessed life. Why? Because there are things that go behind the scene. I can't tell you how many times James Hagman has fixed toilets in this church. I can't tell you how many times James Hagman had to go all the way up there to change light bulbs and wire up uh, new lights up there. I can't tell you how many times he has had to work on this. Just years of just giving and Masato leading life groups and pouring into people. That to me is God saying, you know what? You might not have $3 million in the bank, but you know what? What's your daughter's life worth to you? Can you put a value on somebody's life? Can you put a value on what it would be two weeks of hospital bills? There are so many things that we talk about angels, that we entertain angels unaware. There are things that go behind the scene that you don't know that God is protecting you from that you could never put a dollar amount on. You couldn't say, I've got 50,000 in the bank, I've got a million in the bank, but the fact that you have your spouse, your children are with you, you're healthy, you're working, those are the real riches that you truly have. But if we can't get the finances right, how can he trust us with more? If I can't steward what he's given me, how am I going to steward relationships? I've been praying for, for my, my, you know, for, for our young people, praying like, Lord, send me the right guy, send me the right girl. Well, can you do that if you can't even balance your checkbook? Can you do that if you're not even balancing what's in your life right now? Why add to it? Can he trust us with more? Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We can unpack a lot in this scripture, in both of these scriptures. But I want to pull two main points. The first one is from uh, the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man, the blessed life. Why do we seek counsel from those who are not godly? Those who do not understand the principles of life, that don't understand the principles of a marriage, of finances, of relationships... Don't have the principles, but yet the blessed man, he seeks counsel in the godly, not the ungodly. How do we get the blessed life? 
How about we get some godly people in our lives and we start talking to the right people and we start giving an ear to the right people. We start listening to our pastors, start getting in the word. And this is my favorite part about verse chapter two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the law. Too often we want to write off the law. Well, we're living in grace. Well, we tackled that two weeks ago. Grace doesn't substitute for what the law. Just because the law said thou shalt not murder, what did he say? Well, don't hate your brother. He didn't do away with the law. He just gave us a heart issue now. Okay, now, now don't kill him, but don't hate him. So when you're looking at the law, are we the people of God delighting in the law? He didn't come to uh, just take away the law. He came to fulfill the law. The law is still just as important. The principles are still important to what we're doing. So if you want a blessed life, get godly counsel and follow the law. Get in the word, read the scripture, build a relationship with him in daily reading. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. If we never get out of debt, how can we ever become true givers? Before you can become a giver, you really need to get out of debt. You can sacrificially give, and we'll talk a little bit about that there in a moment. But we need to figure out the getting out of debt, understanding where our heart really is, what we're spending our money on, what is the value in what you spend your money on. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 8, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So if you're looking at the scripture, there are seven, seven gifts that you can have. One is prophecy, one is ministry, then teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. Giving is a gifting. But too often we can't operate in a gifting because we've never handled our finances properly. It's the same thing with relationships. How do we steward our relationships? How do we steward the people we come in contact with? If all we do is cause friction and strife between people, why would somebody want to be around you? Why would somebody want to be around me if I'm always negative? If I'm the Debbie Downer every single day? Why would anybody want to be around me? How we steward what God gives us will be able to then be multiplied. You want to thrive in relationships? You want to thrive in your walk with God? Then steward what he gives you. And watch verse 13. When you're reading those verses after he gives us these giftings, there are verses after that will tell you how to behave in those, in those, in those giftings. And when you get to verse 13, this is how you behave in the gift of giving. It says to distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality. If, you, if you've been here any length of time, you know who and Brent and Debbie Campbell are. I am excited for tomorrow night's prayer. Uh, Brother Campbell is, is an incredible prayer man. He studies the word. I, I am, my anticipation is high for tomorrow night with what he's going to give us uh, in prayer. But if you've known them at all, then you know that the gift of hospitality is on Debbie Campbell. I'm, I'm, listen, you can go into their home and that house is going to be clean. There are going to be candles that are lit in the house. It's not going to smell funky. It's going to smell good. And guess what? She's going to give you a fresh batch of cupcakes. If, if Debbie would just follow the voice of God and open up a cupcake store, she could probably pay off our building in a couple of years. Her cupcakes are incredible. When you walk into Debbie Campbell's house, the atmosphere is set for you to come in. There's peace in that home. You can hear what, what, what their life group, when they start teaching their life group, that is a gift of hospitality, creating an environment that you can come in and learn from and strengthen yourself. There's a gift of giving. 
I have a very close friend of mine. He's, he's made a lot of money. I, I've, I've worked with him on and off for the last 15 years. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago, we were having a conversation. He was like, man, Mike, your pastor's incredible. I mean, I think sometimes we, we underestimate the value of Pastor Hoffman and our First Lady. The greatest Bible teacher, hands down. Anointed, prophetic, gifted. So it's hard to follow after him. I get it. And so he was telling me, he said, man, Mike, if I could just, I would love to speak, you know, the way, the way your pastor speaks and, and the team you guys have at your church, you guys, you know, it's just really done well. And, and he's like, but man, I, I just, I don't have that in me. I said, bro, you have a gift of giving. He's, he's had several companies that he has launched. He's purchased companies. Um, he's, he's done a lot in business. And he's very generous when it comes to not just tithing, but his offerings. I said, bro, I said, what we do on a Sunday impacts those that are in the room and those that are online and those we share with. I said, but because of your generosity and your gift of giving, you have impacted the world. Your money has gone all over the planet because you're so generous in the kingdom. That's why when Pastor John said earlier, do you understand that it, since November, this church has given two missions $20,000. You are responsible for people all over the world listening to the gospel and getting aid because of what you do here. So your money will go further than you could ever dream of by foot or by plane. Your money goes so many different places, and that's why it is important for us to never underestimate the value of the gift of giving. But how many would love? It's a lie when you say, man, if I made more money, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. If you don't have the principle, you go broke another way. Ask an athlete. We have a good friend of this church, David Patton. He played for the Patriots. Three Super Bowl rings, made his money. He doesn't even have to work anymore. He's fine. But he told me in the league what happens is the guy that only makes a million, two or three million, and we're like, oh, that's a lot of money. It's really not. By the time you're in that tax bracket, and then by the time you pay your agent, and then all of the medical insurances you have to carry for your body because that's your job. If you get hurt, you make no money. So they stack up on health care. And then you got to pay all of your equipment. All of this money's bleeding out. And the lifespan of a, of, a, of a football player, really in any sport, is really short. So you have to stretch that out. The reason those guys go broke is because the guy that makes a million, two, three million is trying to live like the, the quarterback that's making 20 million. So don't tell me if I made a million dollars, I'd be in better shape. If you don't understand the principle of investing and stewarding your money, you're not going to do it when you make more money. It starts with, listen, whatever he gives you, you steward that and then he'll multiply it. But if we can't do it from the basics, he'll never trust us with more. He'll never trust us with more. So we have to understand, listen, 30% of the parables were taught on finances. So let's go to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's a parable of the three stewards. Boss man brings his guys together and says, hey, listen, boys, I'm going on a trip. I'm going to give you guys some bags of money. He gives five bags of money to one of the guys, two bags of money to the, to the guy that has second in command, and then just one bag to the guy um, that's left over. And so he said, when I come back, let me see what you can do with this. He leaves. He ultimately comes back, and the guy that had the five bags of money said, I invested it. Here's five more. He doubled his profits. It's great. So then the guy with two bags said, man, I got you. I look, look at what I did. Oh, man, that's great. The guy with the one bag came and he said, man, you're a tough boss. You know what? Bitcoin's up and down. I was afraid to invest it. I didn't know what was going on. So you know what? I didn't do nothing. I put it in my mattress. <laughs> and then scripture tells us that 
he kicks this man out and says, depart from me into utter darkness, because he said he had given to them according to their ability. Again, you're not going to get the same as everybody else. He'll give you to your ability. So it's not a matter of how much you're returning or how much you're investing into the kingdom. It's what are you doing with the lot that you have? What do you do with what God trusts you with? Don't look to anybody else and measure up to anybody else. You're not going to be judged to anybody else. You'll be judged according to your works. So I'll be judged according to what I do. And so what have we done with the investment? What have we done with what God has given us? If you go back to uh, 2001, Bridget and I bought our first home. We, we married in... We got married in 2000, so that would put us in our first home. She was 19, I was 23. Bought a five-bedroom, three-bath home. We really thought we were going to live in Utah for the rest of our lives. Thank God we didn't. We love Michigan. But, so, we purchased our first home, and it was great. Well, within a couple years in the career that I I had chosen, um, things got volatile, and and money got, uh, just the contracts got tighter, and they cut our pay, and so things begin to get really tight, and so we just begin to live tighter. And then finally, uh, just really was through a, a series of events that culminated at the, at the end of 2003. We had both lost our jobs while we were laid off. We didn't know when we were going back to work. We were making it. We were paying our bills. But it got pretty tough, and we had the decision. Now, mind you, first church, Our kids will never know what it's like to have to shell out a ton of money to do anything. This church is really blessed because of really the vision of pastor and the faithfulness of everybody in this room. But where we were serving, they didn't have any money. We had to pay for our own Sunday school material. We paid for the snacks. Like, they just didn't have the money. And we didn't have a problem doing that because that was our offering. We loved it. It didn't matter. We just wanted to see the kids grow. And so we had a decision to make. Am I going to have to cut back on the last thing that I have not touched, which was my tithes and offerings? And mind you, I didn't even learn the value of first fruits. Then all I knew is you had a tithe. So guess what? And I'll be honest because nobody, nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. There have been times I couldn't afford my tithes. But you know what I did? I paid them back as soon as I got the money. Like, I'm not robbing the Lord. Like, you ain't going to come after me for that. So, man, that might be two or three weeks later. I'm writing me a big check as soon as I got some money, paying back my tithes because I didn't understand the value of first fruits and just giving. We were young, so we were doing the best we could with the information we had. And so we came to a place where, like, hey, we don't have any more money. We got to tighten. So it affected our budget. So what did we do, especially when it came to groceries? We turned to the only thing that we loved that was cheap, cereal. Man, I said, girl, we can get some cereal. And I love cereal. I'm one of those people, I am not ashamed. I will eat cereal as a late snack. I'll have it for breakfast. Man, if if dinner's going to be a while, I'll have a bowl of cereal. doesn't matter to me. Some people are too proud. Not this guy. I will eat cereal. So he said, hey, you know what? We're going to have some cereal. So, man, that first bowl of cereal, man, that was great. I loved it. I'm like, man, this is fine. We're fine. How many times do we say that? We're fine. I'm fine. We're good. We're having cereal. Man, lunchtime came around. Ooh, ah, no problem. Let's just another bowl of cereal. It's okay. We're going to be fine, babe. Another bowl of cereal. Man, dinner come by, and I'm like, dude, I love cereal, but you know what? I'll get my favorite cereal, Rice Krispies, which are legit my favorite. I love Rice Krispies. Oh, man, we'll do Rice Krispies again. So day after day, I'm eating my cereal. Day after day. Guess what? By the third day, fourth day, I'm over it. Like, I need some chicken. I need some steak. Throw in some shrimp. Like, I need some food. I'm over this cereal thing. But I had a choice to make. Am I going to cut back on my giving and tighten up there 
for the few weeks or do I stay with my discipline and keep eating my cereal so I don't take away from the kingdom? We have choices that we have to make. And God tests us through money. He tests our character. He'll test your faith. He'll test your obedience. He will test your capacity for more through finances. We were at the test of our lives. Am I going to give up some of the principles I had just to go back to what I was used to having in the house? Or am I going to stick to the principle and I'm not going to take away from the disciplines that I've had? So it takes me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully will reap also bountifully. Every man according as he had purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly, out of necessity. Listen, another truth moment. Can we have another? Can we just like let down our guard for two seconds? I know money's funny. Let's just talk about it. Just, I love confrontation. I'm an eight in an Enneagram. I've said that before. I love this stuff. Because it ain't my word. It's the Bible. So I can talk about it. So who here pays their tithes and offerings? If you don't, put your hand up in faith right now. Thank you. Great. All right. Who here has done this? I know I'm not the only one. Man, you write your tithe check or you give it online and then you do your offering. And then you look and you go, ooh, that's a car payment. Ooh, that's my mortgage. Ooh, I could get new shoes. You start counting the costs and all of a sudden you're no longer giving out of the, free, out of the freedom that's in your heart, out of, out of the abundance of the heart. Now you're counting the cost to how much you're paying an offering and all of a sudden you're tallying it up. Jesus is saying, I want some cheerful givers. I don't want somebody that's just going to give it grudgingly. I don't need somebody. Listen, he don't need your money. He owns the cattle on the hills. He owns it all. He doesn't need what we have. He wants your heart. So where is your heart? Do you count the cost or are you giving it and not even the Bible talks about your left and your right hand not known from what they're doing? Why? Because it's about the heart. It's a heart issue. And so when you look at this, He's saying, listen, he's using an agricultural term, sowing. What does that mean? Listen, if I get an apple, an apple averages five to seven seeds per apple. In order to have an apple orchard or to have apple trees, you need two. They have to cross-pollinate. An average apple tree can take up to 12 to 15 seeds. Some of them don't make it. So 30% of those seeds are dormant. They don't don't make it. So in all reality, you need three to four apples, depending on, on the soil and there are other conditions. So before I can have an apple tree, I have to take what I have, and then I have to take all those seeds, put them in the ground, and it can take up to seven months for you to see an apple tree grow. So you're sowing, you're laboring. You don't even see the fruit of your labor yet. But when that apple tree comes up, two of them, you now have anywhere from 80 to 150 apples on a tree. So guess what I can do now? I have, I'll go bare minimum. I'll take one apple out of 80. I eat my apple. I take my seeds. I put them back in the ground. So what's going to happen? In seven months, out of my one apple, I now have another 80. There comes a place in God when you begin to sow, you get to a place where you're reaping more than you're sowing because it's an agricultural term. It's like, listen, if I keep sowing, I'm going to reap more than I can sow. And there'll come a place where there is that blessed life where God's going to continue to give to you because you started a principle years ago and you stayed with the discipline. That's why it's important to always be sowing, always giving out. In order to activate the blessing of God that he has in your life, you have to first give. It's the measure of how you sow. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 says, Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed. 
God is not going to give seed to the, to the stingy. If you're not giving, he's not going to trust you with it. We want to talk about a revival. We want to talk about, listen, God is coming. We need to reach as many people as we can. And that's true. But listen, if we're not stewarding the people we have and we're not getting out into the streets and we're not telling somebody about who Jesus is, then guess what? He's not going to trust us with the revival. He's not going to trust us with more people through those doors because we're not stewarding what we have right now. That's why the financial piece is such a basic piece that we struggle with the most, but it has such implications on the growth of the kingdom. John 12, 1 through 7, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given to Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of those disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Super concerned, wasn't he? It was a year's worth of wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It's funny that Jesus knowing what Judas's problem, his shortcoming, his character issue was with money, trusted him with his earthly treasure. God will give you things to see how you behave. He will give you the opportunity to see if you can correct it and do better. You have a choice, like, just like Judas did. Am I going to take it and be excited that what Mary did was incredible that she gave to the master? Or am I going to hide behind the fact of like, why did you, we could have sold that to the poor. Be careful that you are not manipulating people for blessing. Be careful that you're not saying, listen, when somebody says, well, hey, sister, how are you? Well, you know, things are tight. Things are tight. Oh, really? what's going on? Oh, you know, the check didn't come, my disability didn't come in, or, you know, work was a little slow today. I, and all in the back of your head, you're telling this because you're expecting somebody to give you something. You're not believing that God's going to take care of you. You're expecting they're going to take care of you. It's a heart issue. Are we manipulating people when we need something? Was, was Judas really manipulating the situation by saying, man, we could have gave that to the poor? No, he was wanting to skim off the top. He was wanting the money for himself. You have to be careful where your heart is. But this is the beautiful part of this. When you go actually to, over to Mark 14, verses 3 and 7, it's the same story, but watch verse 8. It's a little different. Verse 8 said, this is Jesus. He said, she did what she could. And she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. When Jesus died on the cross, there was no time when they pulled him off the cross. At that time in Roman culture, you would, you would wrap them and then you would take your perfume and you would pour it on them. And you put these spices on them and then you would put them in the tomb. Jesus didn't have that luxury. They pulled him off real quick. But watch what happened. Jesus foreseen what was coming. Mary, in her extravagant giving, a year's worth of wages poured it on him. Mary fulfilled the work of the cross before he ever made it to the cross. So what does that tell us? What miracle is in your hand when you give? What miracle is in your hand if you were to say, hey, you know what? This is an extravagant, this is a lot of, this was a year's wage for her. If we said, God, March 14th is coming and I want to be able to sow into the kingdom. And whatever you start to give into and you, and you put out there in faith, who knows the miracle that could come from your hands? Because of what Mary did, she fulfilled the work at the cross. So I want us to stand I want us to walk through one more piece here as, as the musicians get ready.
See, Martha's offering, it was equal to the average annual salary of somebody, and yet she was willing to do that. And I know we've talked about March 14th, and again, I'm not just trying to talk just money here. There's a reason that we only do one offering at First Church throughout the year. I've said this before, right? Since November, we've, it's $20,000 that we have been able to, to help other missionaries with. There are so many things that you have been able to do. We were just, I was talking to Brother Monchieski earlier today, and a group of us men went to Brazil because you sent us. And when we got there, we were able to work on an orphanage, and we helped build the shell of what their church house was. And at that time, I think it, it, it was, it was going to seat three, three or four hundred. Because we went down there and we built that temple for them, they outgrew it and had to build something even bigger. That puts First Church in Brazil. That's what you did because you gave sacrificially. That's what you did. Several years ago, we launched a church in Royal Oak. God called Pastor Jamil to, to launch a church in Royal Oak. And First Church, once again, went to bat. And because of what you did, including salaries and including just all of the, the equipment that was needed, everything, it was well north of $100,000 cash that we were able to build the church in Royal Oak. And because of you, they're having service right now, and they baptized somebody last week. God's been moving in that service. That's all because somebody in this room decided to sow into the kingdom of God. That is what the kingdom is about. It's what we're sowing into. It's bigger than just money. It's bigger than just money. And so what am I saying when it comes to cereal? See, cereal can be triggers. We talked about it. I can eat a bowl of tricks and remember, as a child, we used to eat the cereal. My dad can look at this box of cereal and my dad can remember what it was like to sit at 310 Robeson Street in Fall River, Massachusetts and have a bowl of this hay. He can remember those moments. But just like trials... We get these triggers that come into our lives and things that we deal with. Whether it's from your childhood or something that you're currently in right now. And God is saying, if, if you'll understand the getting out of debt, what does that mean? How do you leverage your relationships? Are you in debt to everyone? Relationally, emotionally? It's like a bank account. When I'm kind to you, I'm depositing something positive into your life. If all I keep drawing from you is negative, no wonder your marriage is bankrupt. No matter your relationships are bankrupt. No matter my relationship with my children can be bankrupt. If all I do is withdraw and withdraw and I'm never putting anything into them, then how am I stewarding that relationship? It all comes back to these, to the law. Understanding what that means. Now I want us to come close because this is what I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray more than just March 14th. If you could all come to the front, keep your, your mask on and your heart open if you're comfortable. I want you to think about not just March 14th. What are the relationships that you have? What are some of the struggles that you're having? Have we become so jaded in life that we've failed to see what God has done in protecting us? Could James and Masato put a, a dollar amount on Monica's accident? Come out clean. What is her life worth? And yet, she wasn't even in the hospital. She was released that day. If you're going through something this morning, I want us to specifically pray over the Rodriguez family. If I could have them come up front. So here they lose their niece. And we get so frustrated, right? 
Well, Lord, why is this happening? Why am I struggling with this? Why is this happening to me? What Mary did to Jesus fulfilled the work at the cross. I don't have an answer for this, but I do know something. Could they have been in California when this happened and been with her? Could they have been in the vehicle when this happened? We don't know all that God is protecting us from. You can't put a dollar amount on what the Lord's brought you from. Could you remember what it was on addictions that you would spend? The countless hours of struggling with things online that you had no business looking at and your marriage is about to fall apart and then God comes in and starts to restore and make all things new. Can you put a dollar amount on that? You can't. But if we will learn to invest in the relationships that we have with our children, our marriage, if we'll learn to say, God, March 14th is coming. I don't know what the miracle looks like. I don't know what's going to come down the road. I don't know any of that. All I know is I could be helping launch the next building, the next, the next project. It could be going to the next church that'll, can God trust us with 800 or 1,000? Do you understand? Here are the numbers for last week. Last week, we had 189 at the 915 service. And at the 1130 service, it was 176 or 178. That tells me we're close to 400. Before COVID, we were averaging 268. You don't see what the 915, and the 915 doesn't see what happens on here, but I want you to know from 260 to knocking on 400 is a blessing from God. Our finances have never been stronger. Our church has never grown as much as it has. Do I believe God will give us 800 or 1,000? I believe that. But am I leveraging my relationships? Am I leveraging my stewarding of my finances and to where God says, you know what? Your capacity is 400. This is all you'll ever be because this is all you ever trust me with. I don't ever want to stop short of the blessing because this is all I'm willing to grow in because I won't trust him enough. It's no different than the man who had only one bag of gold to invest. He gave according to the ability. I don't want God to look at Sterling Heights and look at Pastor Hoffman and say, I trust you now with 400 and that's your cap. Because there is a city that, is, that needs a church that can house more than 400. There are people across this street and in these neighborhoods that need a house like this to house them in. And I don't want to be the reason that God would limit us because I was unfaithful in his principles and his law. And so I tell the Rodriguez family and anybody else that's in here, if you are in the season of your life where you're eating cereal, maybe you're on your 12th bowl. Maybe you've been eating for a long time and it seems to be bankrupting you. You keep giving, but you don't see it. I promise you right now that God is watching exactly where you are. Your prayers are being answered. He sees exactly where you are. And he wants to touch you for you to understand that he has never left or forsaken any of you. But you keep eating your cereal. You keep being disciplined. And I promise you, it might not make sense now, but God is going to open the doors of blessing on your family, on your niece's family, and the children that are in here. And to those that are in this room, I believe that God is going to do something great, not just in this house, but in that field when we begin to build. Because this city needs a church that is stable. This city needs a church that is healthy. And so these are the principles I want us to focus. And as they begin to sing, if there's something that you need to give back to him, whether it's your marriage, maybe it's your relationship with your children, Maybe you're now learning the value of returning your tithe and offering and giving an, a, an extravagant gift. Because if you never did that, how many people would never have received the Holy Ghost in Royal Oak? How many of those kids in that orphanage in Brazil would never know who Christ is if you didn't invest? 
All those missionaries that couldn't travel for the last year, that have been able to feed their families because of what you've done. Imagine taking food from their mouth. But because of what we do week in, week out, the blessing of God is on this house. But I refuse to cap off where we are. I believe there's another, there's another plateau for us to climb to. There's another mountaintop experience for us to have. Not, pers- not just personally, but together as a body of believers. And so as we begin to sing, I want us to pray in this room. And whatever hits your, ho- whatever hits your mind and say, you know what, God, I- I'm going to put you first financially. You know what, God, I'm going to put you first in my marriage. You know what, God, I'm going to put you first in my relationships. I'm going to put you first with my children. Let's begin to pray that right now. And let's bind together with the Rodriguez family to know that they're putting him first right now because they know that this God that they've been sowing seed, they've been sowing seed into that family. Only he can see where it's coming. He can see where it will result in. So let's begin to pray on their behalf and begin to reach the throne of God this morning and know that there's something greater that is coming to Sterling Heights because we're faithful in the principles of the law that he has given us.
children.